Hi everyone, this is Where Credit's Due, Tearsheet's podcast covering the latest trends in lending. I'm your host, Yulia Chudina, senior reporter at Tearsheet, welcoming you to our very first episode. Today, we'll be discussing how fintechs are helping immigrant communities to get access to credit. Speaking with the chief executives of Novo Credit, Misha Esipov, and Tomo Credit's Christy Kim. As credit history typically stops at the border, many people who move to the U.S. from abroad have to build consumer credit from scratch. Nova Credit wanted to address this problem and created an alternative score to assess foreign residents' credit worthiness based on their home country credit data. Nova partnered with American Express and launched a credit passport, which is integrated into the American Express online card application process, enabling applicants' international credit records to be instantly translated into a U.S. equivalent credit report and score. At Tomo Credit, founder and CEO Christy Kim created a technical underwriting solution that would allow immigrants and others without a credit history to build a credit score. With the Tomo Credit Card, one has access to a $10,000 unsecured credit limit, the ability to build a credit score, and all the points and benefits of a credit card. Approval can be done within two minutes, there's no fees, no interest rate, and unlike other major credit cards, Tomo doesn't require a credit score and works independently of FICO. Despite having no marketing budget, Tomo Credit managed to acquire more than 2 million organic applicants within 12 months, and its revenues jumped tenfold over the same period. Um, thank you both for participating. I'm very excited for us to have a conversation about making credit accessible to underserved communities who want to build their financial lives in the U.S. That is essentially, I guess, the cause of both of your companies and kind of where this whole thing started. Um, luckily, we've seen recently in the financial industry a number of companies targeting consumers without credit histories, um, and Nova Credit and Tomo Credit are two great examples of that. Um, you've both founded your companies to bring financial services closer to those who would traditionally get rejected by the legacy system. However, you each had a different approach. Um, so I'm curious to hear how your perspectives on the problem are and um, how you aim to do something about it. So. Misha, if you want to take the floor. Yeah, happy to. First of all, thank you for having uh, having me on the show. I know it's an inaugural one, so we'll do our best uh, to, to keep it fun and, and entertaining. Um, for those of you that, that, that don't know uh, of Nova Credit, uh, we started as a cross-border uh, credit bureau, uh, really in, in pursuit of uh, helping unlock financial services for people that are new to this country. Um, maybe just to, to color the problem a little bit, um, a few million people move to the U.S. Uh, every year, and, and when they first arrive, uh, they need to get a place to live. They need to get a credit card. They need to get a cell phone plan, a uh, an auto loan, potentially a student loan, uh, and any any of those products and, and, and many more require having a U.S. credit history. But by virtue of having just arrived, uh, this segment doesn't have any U.S. history. They don't even have a U.S. bank account. Uh, and so they're effectively locked out of being able to access mainstream financial services. And really the, the core of what we set out to do was to create a systemic solution to, to that problem. 
Uh, and our uh, thesis from the very beginning has always been that if you can give people access to their own data, uh, then you can enable them to bring that data with them to uh, put their best foot forward and create a more complete picture of who they are. And so our product now helps uh, recent immigrants get approved for American Express cards, for uh, auto loans, for student loans, for apartment leases, and, and, and much more. Yeah, that's tremendously important for people who encounter such barriers to enter the U.S. financial system. Christy, we've talked before about how you and I have experienced this firsthand. So can you share with our listeners how this led you to found Tomo Credit? Yeah, I remember when we first had the conversation, you were telling me that you encountered this problem on your own. Um, I guess we are all um, immigrants and have the same story. So I came here pretty young when I was only 11 years old and I thought that I was doing everything right following my American dream, like studying, getting a job, et cetera. So I didn't imagine that um, I would struggle to rent an apartment in San Francisco uh, or get an auto loan or a credit card in the US. So it was a really interesting experience and I learned and I found it fascinating in a way that uh, in the US, such a, it's a really diverse, um, diverse a country, but at the same time, the system is so outdated. So I thought that if someone can figure out um, different ways to evaluate and underwrite customers, that would be that'd be amazing, amazing opportunity. And I feel very humbled and honored to be uh, to build a company who is tackling the problem. You initially wanted to build this product and license it out to banks. But then you found out that it would have taken them too long to implement something like this. Why do you think that it's taking so long for the incumbent banking system to include these communities? So speaking of bigger banks and traditional banks, I do understand their struggle. They, they People who work there, they might agree with us um, with the need for change. I think they see the problem themselves as well, but I think they need to prioritize. Um, and for them, their priority is serving their existing uh, customers and making sure that their legacy portfolio is performing well and performing healthy. And they cannot really go into the territory that they don't know anything about. So in this case, people without a credit score, without any FICO history, it's uncharted territory that they have no experience. They don't know uh, the risk. So as a big bank with a lot of compliance risk and a lot of um, extra risk um, internally, it would be so hard for them to be to, to volunteer to be the first one to take a shot. So I think that brings a big opportunity for startups like Tomo Credit and Nova that we can do things differently and we can be an, uh, the innovator because bank's job is not to be an innovator. They are more of a follower than an innovator. So I think in that sense, startups are going to be the ones who are leading the path and showing people that this works. And then eventually five to 10 years down the road, I hope all the mainstream banks will follow and adopt this new change. Yeah, I mean, our, our, our philosophy on this question is, is that, you know, it's not that banks or the credit bureaus are intentionally like excluding recent immigrants. Like, I think everyone uh, generally wants to serve, you know, uh, 
you know, all Americans, new Americans, newcomers, whatever term you want, you want to use. But the, the challenge is that uh, there's never historically been a way to understand who these customers are, right? Because when you, when you first arrive, you're effectively credit invisible. You don't have a financial identity here. Uh, you can't easily be KYC'd. Uh, and so all, you know, all traditional KYC and underwriting processes are effectively broken uh, for, for this uh, particular segment for at least their first few months uh, of, of arrival. And so a lot of what we do, and we are at our core B2B business, so we, we partner with some of the leading uh, banks and you know, alternative lenders out there and really enable them to you know, use our technology, our infrastructure, our analytical capabilities to convert uh, applicants who they initially perceive as credit invisible because they don't have any U.S. credit bureau information and be able to look at them as if they are a thick file, as if they have you know, a complete credit history upon arrival. Is it difficult for them to underwrite for these types of populations that have been, you know, sort of, you know, at the margin? Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if you if your underwriting processes only rely on data that exists within traditional U.S. credit bureaus, that information is, is, is very sparse or non-existent for this segment upon arrival. Right. And so those traditional methods of underwriting just don't work. Uh, because there's no real data to actually underwrite this segment with. So the, the core of, of what we and many companies out there are trying to do is to introduce uh, new data sets to really empower consumers to unlock more information about who they are at their point of need and to use that to paint a more complete picture of who they are. Um, so can you describe to me what are these data sets or what, what type of data has not been included before and now you know, is being um, part of the conversation over what should define someone's credit worthiness. Credit bureau system, uh, if you think about it, it's not based on the real-time data to begin with. So if I lose my job today or get my or get promotion today, it's not reflected into a score because it's not a liability event. That's an income event. And credit bureaus have no idea on my income events. So what's really cool about doing real-time cash flow underwriting is that we can capture all the income events, which is really important when we are looking at the user base who are thin file without credit history. So that's where we really focus on. How can you leverage real-time data so we can capture your life events? Uh, real time, so we can be smarter in assessing your risk. Yeah, I mean, our 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 view on this is that, like, you know, the credit bureaus are are doing the best they can. I mean, they've uh, you know they, they've existed for a long time, uh, and uh, you know their core mechanism of building their existing data asset depends on data furnishing from banks, and uh, that you know that that system does well for people who are able to start building credit. Uh, and because, you know, as soon as you get credit, you start building history, but it's precisely around those credit on ramps where the challenge exists for people that haven't yet been able to start to establish their own credit history. And so really where we have focused is thinking about, you know, the financial system in terms of its on ramps, you know, people that are turning 18 years old who, uh, or people who have never had access to financial services before, or people that are new to this country and really trying to think about, you know, what are the ways that consumers can permission more information about themselves to um, 
paint a more complete picture of who they are. And in doing so, share that information with lenders so that lenders can make a more fair and sound and inclusive lending decision. Definitely. And speaking of sharing information, I'm curious, at Nova Credit, you basically translate credit histories for people from one country to another. So I'm curious here, how much do these systems communicate? How difficult is this to do? Well, I mean, the, the short answer is that they, they they don't communicate. And that's kind of one of the reasons for why why we exist. I think the, the irony of if, if you look at the world's credit reporting landscape and we are, for better or worse, we are credit reporting nerds and we've studied the whole world's credit reporting system. Uh, you know, Experian, Equifax, TransUnion, CRIF, CredInfo, there's a bunch of credit bureaus uh, all around the world, over two, almost 300 of them now. Uh, and none of them talk to one another. Uh, every, every credit bureau kind of exists within its own national silo. And you know the core thing that we've done, part of our secret sauce is we've we've gone around the world. We've built partnerships with all of these credit bureaus. We operate in over 20 countries at this point, and we're able to look at data from India, look at data from Canada, Mexico, China, Korea, Australia, UK, Nigeria, Kenya, a bunch of other countries, and look at all of that and in under information and understand it in a single. Uh, format, and we call that format the credit passport. Where you know the thinking is the same way that your passport is how you travel the world. Uh, your credit passport is how you access financial services as you move from one country to another. Wonderful. So, given that a credit score is so central to someone's financial life in the U.S., how do you expect this role to change in the future? What needs to happen in order to make it effective for everyone? So. My take on this is that lenders always need some type of score, whether it is traditional FICO score or alternative score, they need score because they need to make a decision at the end of the day. And bigger, uh, more established companies, they have uh, their ways of doing it. They've been doing it uh, for the last 50 to 100 years. And it's really hard for them to make any drastic change. So what I'm expecting to see is that they will continue to add incremental changes. They are going to keep their core underwriting system that they've been, uh, they've been using. And they're going to add uh, incremental changes, like small improvement over time period. So 10 years later, it will get better. So for FinTech, what's exciting for us is that I don't have to make incremental change. I just come up with a different core. So my underwriting is completely different. So the benefit of that is that we can serve the customers in need faster, like executing faster, because I give them what they want. I solve them their problem in a drastically better way instead of incremental change way. So that is great. And I think that is also good for the industry because someone has to make a drastic change to show that it works without that core legacy uh, as a core, a core, the legacy underwriting as a core. So I think that kind of brings this positive ripple effect, effect that more banks feel comfortable at more and more incremental changes at a faster pace. Um, so I think in that sense, overall, everyone will benefit because consumers will be happy that more and more lenders participate in alternative underwriting. And banks are happy because startups have done this and then show the result. So banks internally, they don't have to pound the table. 
they just have to tell internally that look look over there <laughs> startups are doing it it's performing their loss rate is better than us or at par with us and i think that brings the change to the entire ecosystem and i think that's win-win maybe to add to, to that i agree with a lot of those points yeah, there, there's over 50 million uh americans that are not scorable they're, they're credit invisible that's a, that's a huge number of, of, of people uh, just based on like traditional FICO credit scoring um, approaches. And the, the problem is that, you know, those individuals uh, are, tend to also be the types of individuals that, you know, aren't going out proactively and trying to like boost their score or proactively, you know, start to accelerate building their history. But they still run into situations where they have a need. They have a need for a financial product, or they've you know been unfortunate. They've been in an unfortunate position where they need uh, to borrow, and it's precisely in those moments uh, where you know this becomes a real problem, where their lack of you know being scorable prevents them from being able to access financial services. And I think our, our whole philosophy is being able to, I think, similar in many ways to what Tomo Credit does, uh, enable consumers to. Uh, unlock more information about themselves, whether it's bank transaction data or other types of information uh, that allows them to get a leg up and, and get boosted uh, to, um, you know, to actually be able to get approved for the products they need when they need them most. And what is the incumbent industry's role in all of this? What should be the main thing for it to focus on right now that would help unlock more opportunities for people in the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, our, our view is it's all about consumer permission data like that. That is the answer to making credit invisible Americans visible. It's when consumers are applying for the products they need to give them the tools to unlock more data about who they are and for that data to be used in a compliant manner to help them get approved like that. That is ultimately the, the way that the system should operate. And there's a lot, a lot, a lot that has to happen for the mainstream financial services companies to, you know, learn from what innovative companies like Tomo Credit have been able to do with bank transaction data, uh, and you know, other players have done with you know payroll data or you know our credit passport data or other other products out there that allow consumers to paint a more complete picture of who they are. Yeah, I agree with Misha. I think that's a really good point that. So the industry is not going to go backwards. Consumers have changed. Consumers are now younger customers. They have different type of asset and they are more willing to share data because millennials and Gen Z, we are trained. We know how to share data because we all use um, like Venmo, PayPal, Robinhood, you name it. So we know it's easy for us to share credentials. So because of that, Consumers are willing, they are willing to share data. So now it's uh, up to lenders, whether they want to embrace this change and adopt. Uh, if, not, if they don't do it, it's just not gonna be good, not gonna be good for them for profit perspective down the road. Definitely, we have to think about younger generations coming into the market with a different level of interaction with technology and different approach towards financial services in general. So how is the fintech industry aiming to attract and include these young people into the financial system? If I share my, my observations so far. So during pandemic, we saw amazing growth and it was unexpected. And because I thought that, well, during pandemic, international students are not coming, less international travel, am I in trouble? But in reality, the opposite. So many people signed up and I was like, oh, interesting. And then I learned that during the pandemic, 
Now, younger customers, their first experience with banking system is digital. It's no longer going into the bank branch to get your first bank account or credit card. It's not like that. It was like that for me, like 10 years ago or 15 years ago. That was my first interaction with the U.S. banking system. Going into the branch, say hi to people there and ask them questions. But it's not like that, meaning younger customers are trusting digital fintech players way more than before because that's their first interaction with banking system in general anyway. So I think that's a huge advantage for startups because we don't have uh, physical uh, stores. So for me, I think that uh, that was something that was interesting and beneficial for, uh, for Tomo Credit. And I think that this just tells us that younger customers, especially Gen Z, they are different and then we need to adopt and we need to understand what they want and then provide a product that meet their unique needs. I mean, taking a slightly more of a, of a B2B lens uh, onto, onto this question, maybe I'll, I'll pull out a famous uh, Andreessen Horowitz quote, which is something like, the battle between every startup and incumbent comes down to whether startups get distribution before incumbents get innovation. And that, and that really kind of is, is case in point for what's going on if, if you look at the industry here, you've got you know some really incredible uh, startups in the credit card space like Tomo Credit that are bringing innovation to underwriting, that are bringing innovation to marketing channels, and then uh, you've got businesses out there uh, like us who are trying to help the incumbents learn how to use innovation and you learn you know innovative techniques, whether it be marketing or underwriting or KYC. And, and ultimately, it's 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 kind of a race for you know can you know some of the new. Uh, uh, startups reach real scale, reach real distribution uh, faster than you know the incumbent banks can learn how to innovate uh, and adopt some of these capabilities to be able to stay ahead. And that really is is the tension uh, that that exists out there right now. So if I summarize, Tomo uh, doing doing better and growing faster accelerate Misha's business. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> In a way, I mean, we'd love we'd love to be partners, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tomo, Tomo helping, you know, Tomo and Pedal, and there's a bunch of great companies out there that, that are using innovative underwriting techniques like cash flow underwriting and 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 others. That just further makes it, uh, you know, unacceptable, frankly, for the large banks to not use similar. Uh, similar uh, underwriting capabilities, because by not changing, by not innovating, they're locking people out of the financial system. Yeah, definitely. It's really creating a new standard in the financial services industry, and we're welcoming it. These changes are long overdue, but maybe the fast adoption of fintechs that offer financial inclusion will encourage the wider industry to think about consumer needs differently. Thank you both very much for participating. It was such a fun conversation. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for having us on the show. This was Misha Esipov, CEO of Novo Credit, and Christy Kim, CEO of Tomo Credit. To read the transcript of our conversation, head over to tearsheet.co and make sure you subscribe to Where Credits Do wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll be out with a new episode every two weeks, bringing you conversations with industry leaders on the ever-changing lending landscape. And if you're interested in more content, you can subscribe to our lending newsletter and briefing in your inbox every other week. Thanks for listening and see you at the next one.